Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. A couple of years ago, I saw one of my high school classmates featured in a Seattle newspaper. Sometimes that's good, and sometimes it's not. Uh, in this case, it was good. He's a detective for the Seattle Police Department, and uh, they, were, they had written an article on a particular way that they investigate crime and some of the technical aspects of what they do, and, and uh, one of the little the little caption bites that they throw on the picture was, we're nerds with guns. Uh, it has to do with a lot of uh, mathematics and different things they do in, in uh, reconstructing crime scenes. So I, I have not had the chance to get to a high school class reunion because of where the Lord has had me at different times when I've heard of them. And so I thought, here's a chance to get together and, and uh, with somebody that I was in school with. We were in band together and whatnot. So I tracked him down to the Seattle Police Department. We got together and had breakfast, and, and he told me about a whole series of people and different things, and uh, I told him what little I knew about some folks in our class. And what was interesting, of course, me being a police chaplain and him a police detective, we kind of focused on some of those aspects of people in our class, and uh, one man in particular that he talked about who was very athletic and well-known in our class just vanished off the face of the earth, and and my friend has spent 20 years trying to track him down with all the connections that he has through the police world and has not been able to find him, knows, has no idea whatever happened to him. And, but one of our friends that I'll call John, because that was not his name, was, uh, was in the band with us, was, uh, you know, a first chair trumpet kind of guy, a good-looking guy, elect, uh, elected either class president or student body president. He was smart. He was athletic to a degree. He wasn't a, a great athlete, but he was there on the varsity team and whatnot. Just an all-around kind of guy. And I don't know if our class voted for, you know, most likely to succeed and all that kind of stuff. But if we had, he would have been on the short list. He was that kind of guy. Just, well, here's one of the standout members of our class. Well, in talking to my friend who's a police detective, he said... At our five-year high school reunion, he said, we heard that this guy had been murdered. And uh, just, you know, uh, that was it. And the rumor was that he'd gotten involved in some kind of drug business or something like that, and he'd been murdered in some kind of criminal activity. And so everybody thought, well, that's what it is. Well, then at the 15-year class reunion or something like that, about 15 years later, I guess it was, this guy shows up. <laughs> this guy's parents thought he was dead because he had to tell everybody, somehow he had to disseminate the rumor that he had been murdered because he was involved in the drug business and there were some people who wanted to kill him. And so he had to let everybody think that he had been murdered and he just had to disappear somewhere and then I guess when he thought it was safe, he showed back up. 
most likely to succeed. Do you know what? I got good news for you today. God does not have a most likely to succeed list. He has a guaranteed to succeed list. And we want to learn about it in Hebrews chapter 2. Starting in verse 5. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. This passage has a lot of verses which seem a bit obscure, but which really come together very forcefully as we consider them. And we need to start with understanding the broad scope of the book of Hebrews, as we have already been doing through chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And the broad stroke is this. God has written to say very clearly, Jesus is the supreme Savior. And he starts out in establishing why Jesus is the supreme Savior. He starts out by saying, now watch out what kind of attention you give to angels. And he said, angels are not this, angels are not that. And in chapter 1, he basically draws a picture of Jesus as deity, as God, as the second person of the Trinity. And he says, God never addressed angels in the same way that he addresses the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, and calls him deity or calls him God. Now in this chapter, he's going to talk about the supremacy of Jesus because of his humanity. Some people might think, well, of course God is above the angels, but a human being is below the angels. And God's going to talk to, this, talk to us about that. And we're learning two things here today. Number one, we're learning why Jesus is supreme. And number two, we're learning our importance in the scheme of God relative to angels and to the rest of the world. In verse 5, we read this. For he has not, that's God, God has not put the world to come, the world that's yet in the future, the one of which we are speaking, he has not put that in subjection to angels. Or let's put, turn it around and say he has not made angels the ruler of the world that is to come. What is the world that is to come? The world that is to come after this one, after the time of tribulation, is what we call the millennial kingdom. 
It's when Jesus rules and reigns on earth from the throne of David in Jerusalem. And turn with me to the book of Revelation and find out what we will be doing while he is ruling the earth from the throne of David. Revelation 1, verse 5. And this is the introduction to the book of Revelation. And he is saying, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, us believers, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and, verse 6, has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Did you know you're going to be a king? I think if I understand the scripture, in fact, you're already a king. You just haven't gotten your kingdom yet. Let's turn over to Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. In this last of the messages to the churches, to the seven churches, this is the last of that seventh message, and he says this, To him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father who is on his throne. Dare we to think of sitting on the throne with Christ? Wow. Turn with me to Revelation 5, verse 9. And they, that's believers, sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. This is the scene in heaven. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nations. And you have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Wow. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection... Over, the second, over such, the second death has no power. He's saying if you are resurrected as a believer, the second death, the death of hell, has no power over you. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, your destiny is to be a king. And I know he doesn't say kings and queens, but I think he's talking about every believer, male or female. Your destiny is to be a king. Your destiny is to rule this earth in the millennial kingdom with Christ. Man, is there anything more unfair than that? Is there anything less deserved than that? Do you deserve by Jesus to have him say, come up here and help me rule this earth? Boy, I don't deserve that. What a tremendous blessing is ours. What a tremendous destiny is ours. We'll not take time to look, but in 1 Corinthians 6, in fact, he says, the world will be judged by us and angels will be judged by us. And that certainly comes to bear on our passage in Hebrews where these folks who he, the book of Hebrews was originally addressed to apparently were elevating angels up either equal with Jesus or above. 
And here, 1 Corinthians 6 says, we're going to judge those angels, us human beings. In Daniel 7, when it predicts the millennial kingdom, it says we're going to be given the kingdom along with Jesus. Believer, you're going to wear a crown and rule with Christ over this earth someday. You meditate on that this afternoon when you're watching the new Yankee workshop. You meditate on that this afternoon when you're having dinner and you get up from dinner and you sit down in your lazy boy chair and you go, man, I'm going to be a king. Are you a janitor now? And maybe this world thinks you're just a janitor. It doesn't matter. You're going to be a king. Are you a stay-at-home mom? Doesn't matter. You're going to be a king. Have you failed to move up the corporate ladder as fast as your college classmates? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You're going to be a king. You're going to rule the earth. Wow. What an incredible thing. He has not put the world to come in subjection to angels. Whatever you think about angels, you just stop and think about this. Those angels are going to be nothing in the future. Just the servants of God. Just the messenger boys of God. In fact, that's all they are right now. We learned that in chapter 1. They're just God's messengers. They just go out and do whatever he wants to help us to, to accomplish his purposes in the world. Why are we going to become kings in the future? Go with me back to Genesis chapter 1. All the way back to the first chapter in the Bible. To understand why this is so important and and it also helps us to understand this passage in Hebrews. Because in Hebrews, the author quotes from Psalm 8, and he says this, What is man? He's talking to, the psalmist is talking to God saying, why, why do you even notice this little speck called mankind on this little planet in all the great big universe? He says, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? And he says, you have made him a little lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. In Genesis 1.26, we read these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Do you know how it is that Hebrews 2 can say, you have been crowned with glory and honor? It's because you were created in the image of God. There is nothing more glorious in this world than the image of God. And you were created that way. Do you know what? The angels were not created that way. They do not bear the image of God, the mark of God upon them. The animal planet does not bear the mark of God upon them. I love my dog, but he's not created in the image of God. Some people would say he's created in the image of somebody else. If you have a cat, well, I'm upset about that. <laughs> but we have been created in the image of God. It's our great privilege. It's our special place. The image of God seems to convey to us that we are persons in the full sense of the word, and angels are not. We are people with mind, intellect, and will, and the value of God upon us, which makes us redeemable. The angels who sin, sin, and that's it, and they're done, and they're condemned to hell. 
Mankind is redeemable. We are worthy of God's redemption because we bear his image. And part of that image has to do with ruling. Let's go on. So um, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Why is it that we're going to be kings someday? Because we were created to be kings from the beginning. It was always God's intention that we would rule the earth. It was always God's intention that in his image, people would carry out dominion like he carries out dominion in the universe. But what happened? Back in Hebrews, we, we read this verse when he says, But now we do not yet see all things put under him. And he's not talking about Jesus, because in the next verse he says, But we see Jesus. He's talking about mankind. You see, as I've been just talking about that, where God says we were created to rule the earth, what's going through your mind might be, well, I don't think we're really ruling the earth right now. And you know what? You're right. You are absolutely right. In fact, the earth tends to rule us. It gets cold, and I have to feed my wood stove. And I can go outside and rebuke the cold, and I can say, go away, cold. <laughs> and you know what happens? I get cold. Listen to this extended quote from John MacArthur, who I think captures our current situation very well. When tempted by Satan, man, we're talking about Adam and Eve and their personal temptation by Satan. When tempted by Satan, man sinned and his tempter usurped the crown. There you see the change in the chain of command. Man fell to the bottom, and the earth under the evil one now rules man. Our present inhabited earth is ruled by angels. The chief fallen angel is Satan, who is also a prince of this world. We also know from Ephesians that this world is under tremendous demonic influence. Demons are fallen angels and are called rulers, powers, and world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness. Not only do Satan and his fallen angels have some rule in this world, and the key is some rule in this world, but even the holy angels now have a kind of sovereignty. Daniel 10 talks about Michael and another holy angel fighting against powerful fallen angels who were influencing the rulers of Persia and Greece. The rule of this earth, therefore, is now in the hands of both fallen and holy angels. Needless to say, this joint rulership involves extreme conflict. <laughs> Hence, when Ephesians 6 talks about spiritual, we are fighting spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places and terrible spiritual conflict that's going on. Folks, any, any, any wise person knows that right now we are not ruling this earth. We are struggling to rule the earth. We are trying to take care of it. And, and, and we as Christians should be concerned about the earth and the animal planet and so on <coughs> to a degree. 
uh, kept in, in balance, of course, with our spiritual concern for people all over. So God created us to rule the planet. God says someday we're going to rule the planet. He says right now we're not ruling the planet. How is this rulership, this kingship going to be made possible? Back in Hebrews chapter 2, he goes on from saying in verse 8 that we do not yet see all things put under human rulership. Verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. In this phrase that he's used twice now about mankind, he's trying to tell us something that in terms of general power and rulership, human beings are lower than angels. There's God, there's angels, and there's us. Of course, the difference is that angels only carry out God's commands. They don't have a will of their own. The, the, the one who had a will of his own was Satan, and of course, God judged him for that. But when he refers to Jesus as saying he was made a little lower than the angels, what he's telling us is Jesus took on a human body, and as such, he became in position in his human body just like us. Our deliverer possessed the right to rule because he was a human being. You see, if God has given if God's intention is for mankind to rule the earth and our future is to rule, then our deliverer must partake of that human nature in order to be our deliverer. In the broader message of the book of Hebrews, the argument is being laid that the humanity of Jesus aligns him with all humans who were originally designed to rule the earth, while angels were never intended to be rulers over the earth and will not be given that rule in the future. The humanity of Jesus gives him the right to rule. But we go on to find out that his humanity also was the vehicle through which he earned the right to rule. We see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Why did God crown him with glory and honor? Because he was willing to suffer and die to buy our salvation. John 12, 23 through 28 tells us that Jesus gained glory from the Father for the work of salvation on the cross. Thirdly, our deliverer paved the path to the throne for us. Look at verse 10. There's a real picturesque word here used in verse 10. For it was fitting for him, or appropriate for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, that's you and me, in doing that to make the captain of their salvation perfect or complete through suffering. The word captain here uh, infers a couple different things. Uh, it infers somebody who takes the lead, and in somebody, uh, perhaps somebody who is a trailblazer, uh, in the military terms, we, we have a man who stands at the head of a line, and he's called the point man. He goes ahead, and everybody follows behind him. Jesus is called the captain, the trailblazer, the point man in our salvation. It includes the idea of rulership and also the idea of leadership. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6, and let's see how Jesus blazed the trail to heaven for us. Romans 6, verse 5. 
For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Romans 6, verse 5. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, our, our sinful person, was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon or decide that you yourselves are dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus made us righteous so that we might go to heaven. He said we died, when he died on the cross, our sin nature was crucified with him so that it might not control us. When he was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. We were made righteous. He has led the way. He has taken us with him. He has blazed the trail. He has mapped out the path. And as we align ourselves with him, we are on the path to heaven. And back in Hebrews, what we find out is that Jesus has made us so righteous that he calls us brothers. Verse 11 of Hebrews 2. For both he who sanctifies, and to be sanctified means to be set apart to God, specially designated for God. Both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, that's us, are all of one. We all partake of this human nature. For which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. He's talking about telling us about God. Verse 13, I will put my trust in him, and here, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Jesus has made us so righteous that he can genuinely call us brothers. Now that word brother gets used in a lot of different ways. I don't have any brothers. I have a sister. And, uh, you know, we're related whether we like it or not. Jesus is related to you because he likes it. Because he made you righteous. You know sometimes in your family, there's a person that you call the black sheep. A person who's odd. A person who is criminal. A person who is hateful. Whatever they might be. And somehow they have done things that brings... Uh, bring, they bring uh, tarnishment to the name of the family. And... And, and so they're sort of banished off to the outskirts of the family. Maybe once a year at Thanksgiving they get to come and eat with you if they're lucky. They are the black sheep of the family. You know what? There's no black sheep in God's family. He is not ashamed to call you his brother. Because you've been made completely, perfectly righteous. Hebrews 10, 14, that we'll look at sometime down the road here, says this. By one offering, 
He has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. Do you know in heaven today, when God looks down at you and me, do you know what he sees? Perfect righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Now he also knows that we got some stuff to work on right now. But we stand with Christ in heaven. And he says, look at, look at, brother, look at brother Dave. Look at Brother Pete. Look at Sister Sue. All my brothers say, hey, God, look at my family. And he's not ashamed to say that. He doesn't say, oh, Lunsford, oh, boy. Turn with me to Colossians 3. Okay, Jeff's my brother. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that shame thing later on. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago in Sunday school, I was illustrating a particular point, and, and so I, I did a little exercise. I said, I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask every person to give me their opinion. I'm not going to do that now, because uh, I don't want to embarrass you or me. But I said, I'm going to ask you something, and I want your opinion. And I went right down the line in my class, and I said, if I were to show up to preach in a ratty t-shirt and an old pair of jeans, what would you think? And I went, you know, right now you're all creating a certain image in your mind. They all did. I went right down the line. And, and the majority of them said inappropriate. Okay. So I decided I won't do that in the future. I want to talk to you about what's appropriate and what's inappropriate in your life. And listen to Colossians 3. If... And, and, and allow me to paraphrase based on the original language. If, and I'm assuming you were, raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind above on the things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Christian, you are sitting with God on the throne of Jesus today. You are a king today. And someday your kingship will be revealed with Jesus to rule this earth. And I want to tell you the same thing that Paul told the Colossians. Live like kings. And I don't mean living high on the hog. I mean live like a spiritual king If you have been raised with Christ, if you're sitting on the throne with Christ, seek those things above. You're destined for greatness with Christ. May I challenge you today to live like it. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who is not ashamed to call us his brothers. Wow. Help us to live like his brothers today. Help us to live like the co-heirs to the throne today. Lord, we, we just can't imagine the privileges that are ours that, that you have in store for us in the future, and we, we are not worthy, but we are thankful. We look forward to what you have for us. Help us to live up to it today. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life. 
the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360-384-3111. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.